Hello and welcome to the Blessed Life Podcast, where we walk together into the promises of Jesus. My name is Eric. I'm the discipleship pastor at New Life Lutheran Church. Thanks for listening today. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our series on habits of a disciple. We spent the better part of the spring and summer exploring discipleship and learning about what a disciple is. And we've been exploring Colossians for the most part. And Colossians is this great little book that shows us that the Christian life is lived in inhabiting and walking in the promises of God, that God gives us so many good things in Jesus. And when we are discipling uh, to, when we are discipled by Jesus, when we are led by him, when we apprentice ourselves to him, he teaches us how to walk in and inhabit our promises and the, the promises that God gives to us of peace and patience and joy and all these other things. Um, and of course, the, the biggest one of those is new life, new life in Christ. And so we've been spending the last several weeks uh, now exploring habits of a disciple. We talked about how the life of a disciple is one of learning, and also the dis- life of the disciple is one of scripture, reading scripture. And today we're talking about prayer. And it's really important here at the beginning that we do scripture and prayer right at the top, um, right after kind of giving us an introduction, that because relationships are all based on communication. There is no relationship that can be healthy without good communication. And when we communicate with God, the primary way that that happens is through scripture, and that is God speaking to us, and through prayer, which is us speaking back to God. Now, we cannot live in relationship with God without scripture and prayer. We cannot know him. We cannot interact with him. This is kind of the primary way that God gives us the Holy Spirit, and he strengthens us for our life, and for our life of faith is through scripture and prayer. So we talked last week about scripture and how to read scripture and how to dig into it, and today we are going to dig in to prayer. We're going to talk about how to pray. And we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to examine prayer through one of Jesus's clearest teachings on prayer, and that is the Lord's Prayer. That's found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the Sermon on the Plain in uh, Luke. In both of those Gospels, Jesus teaches about prayer by giving this uh, very short, concise prayer. And traditionally, what has happened then is that Christians have looked at this prayer And we've determined that what Jesus was doing here is that he was giving us a concise prayer that does all the things that we ought to be doing in prayer. That way we can look at this prayer, we can examine it, and we can learn how to pattern our own prayer life after the Lord's Prayer. Another cool thing that happens here is with all these different uh, elements of the Lord's Prayer that we're going to examine today, as you go in and read the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible, it's right in the middle of the Bible, as you read through the Psalms, you can actually find all of these elements in the Psalms. So the Lord's Prayer is really steeped in the Psalms, and the Lord's Prayer is like the kindergarten level version of prayer, and Psalms is the thing that we can uh, go to again and again and again and pray through throughout our lifetime to continue to help us grow in prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is the beginning. The Psalms is the place that we practice prayer. Uh, and we get words to pray, and then that that uh, that flourishes into a prayer life within us. So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, there are eight parts. 
to the Lord's Prayer that we're going to examine today. We're going to examine them fairly quickly, each one fairly quickly, because they're, they're short and they're fairly simple. Um, so when we enter into this time of prayer, because there are eight parts, I like to think about it as the octagon. I don't know if you've seen the UFC, if you like uh, combat sports. I like the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I like mixed martial arts. And so I like to think about uh, when we enter into prayer, we're entering the octagon, a place where we fight. And that may seem a strange way uh, to think about prayer, but in fact, uh, what we see in Scripture is that life, our life, is a battle. It is a fight. And we enter into a fight with our own flesh, that our own flesh, our own selfish nature is trying to tell us things and convince us to do things that uh, are pulling us away from God because of sin, uh, because of uh, all the brokenness of the world. Our bodies and our sinful nature, they, they don't operate correctly, and they are a little bit deformed. And so part of uh, prayer is actually training, and it's fighting and learning to work within and with our bodies, our sinful nature, our flesh. And prayer is a place that we enter into this fight. It's the place that we retrain our bodies, retrain our flesh to uh, seek God and to know God and to love God. So we enter into a fight in our souls. We enter into a fight in our spirit, in our mind. And it's a fight with ourselves. It's a fight with the devil. And it's a fight with the world. Our prayer life is where we do that battle. Our prayer life is where we process what we're experiencing, where we process what we're hearing, and it's where we process what God has said about us. It's a way for us to get away from things and to enter into this space where we're wrestling with God, much like Jacob did at the top of the mountain. So it is a fight. It is this wrestling. It is a battle for us to pray. It's hard to pray. Uh, in fact, almost everything within us is telling us not to do really good prayer, uh, what we tend to do when we pray is we tend to do these little itty-bitty uh, desperation prayers where we just say, Lord, help me. You know, Lord, help me with this. I need, I need your help. I have this big project coming up at work. I have this big test coming up in school. I have this situation with my kids, and I need your help. And rather than actually entering into this time of battle with the situation that we're in, with the world, the flesh, and the devil... We just ask God to help us. We just ask him to save us from the situation uh, rather than entering into the battle with God and uh, fighting in our hearts that way. So we have these eight parts. We enter the octagon of prayer. We enter this time of tension and disruption and difficulty in prayer with God. And so as we enter into the Lord's Prayer... Uh, the Lord's Prayer is the clearest teaching on prayer or that on prayer that Jesus gave. So in conjunction with the Psalms, uh, the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms, they provide us uh, a foundation from which we can grow. And so what we need to do is we need to shape our prayers around the Lord's Prayer and around the Psalms. So let's do that now. The Lord's Prayer begins with an introduction. Our Father in heaven, or our Father who art in heaven. This is a really important thing that Jesus did here. When he was teaching the disciples to pray, he taught them to talk to God, to pray to God, not as some uh, even benevolent outside force, right? That's out there in the world, 
that we don't interact with very much. Um, he he did not teach us. He did not teach us to pray to God as as some like quote unquote God out there. When he taught us to pray, he taught us to address God and to understand God as our Father. So God is not disconnected from us. God is not this like noun that we just you know throw on the label God. This is our Father who loves us, who knows us, and who wants the best for us. So we enter into prayer as with God as our Father, not as just some outside force that we have to twist his arm to get to do what we want. Prayer is grounded. God does not like, and Jesus actually teaches this in the Sermon on the Mount as well, that God does not like, he does not accept these wordy, um, show-offy kinds of prayers. He does not accept um, those kinds of things. So one of my biggest beefs, oftentimes in the church, is that we tend to use really, really formal language when we address God. We use thou and thine and those kinds of things, that, words that we would never use in a normal conversation. Uh, that separates prayer into this realm of formality, which prayer, although it can be formal, is not at its heart formal. It's Prayer is a conversation with God. It's a conversation with our Father. So prayer is grounded. It has to be grounded in what you're experiencing and what's going on in our lives. Prayer is not idealistic. Prayer is not something that we just throw up to God, hoping that he blesses us. It's grounded in what's happening in our lives currently. So when we enter into the octagon here, it has to be in the context of what's happening right now in our lives. God does not want to be treated as some sort of duchess that we have to do all these formal things like bow and kiss the hand and do these kinds of things and address them with the right proper titles. God is our Father, and He wants to speak to us as such. So prayer needs to be grounded in what's going on right now. It does not need to be idealistic. It should not be idealistic, and it should be something that is entered into with the context of a relationship with God. We need to approach God as our Father. And so then we enter into the first petition. This is the second part of the prayer in the first petition, and it says this, hallowed be your name. And hallowed be your name is a phrase that essentially means uphold the holiness of your name. Let your name be holy. Let your name be made holy. Now, when we pray this prayer, what we're not saying is, God, your name isn't holy, and so we need to pray that it is holy. What, what's actually happening here as we say, uphold the holiness of your name, if we say, uh, hallowed be your name, what we're setting up here is that as we enter into our prayer, the first thing that we're asking is that we would recognize who God is, that he would uphold the holiness of his name in our hearts and in our world. Prayer's primary reality, the fundamental reality of prayer is that God is at work and God is doing something. God is the primary reality of prayer. And so we are asking God to let his holiness be made known in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our world. And so we begin our prayer setting God up as our Father, who is all good and all holy and all gracious. And that God is the fundamental reality of prayer. 
Oftentimes what we think prayer is, is trying to get God to do something for us, trying to twist his arm, trying to make a deal with God to get some good, something out of it. But what prayer actually is, is us entering into the space where God is already at work. And then all we're doing is simply joining him in his work. We're getting in on what God is doing, not the other way around. So we enter in then to the second petition. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come is the second petition. Essentially what we're doing when we ask here, what we do here is we are asking God to establish Jesus' rule in our hearts, lives, community, and world. So, so far, we have that uh, we ask God to make his name holy in us. We understand God as a primary reality. This is a good opportunity to do praise and thanksgiving to God. And then we ask God to make his kingdom come in our hearts and in our community and in our world, our hearts, our lives, our community, and our world. Again, God is at work. He is doing things. And what we're doing when we pray is we, we're asking God to let us in on what he's doing. So we're asking God to establish his kingdom and to help us see where his kingdom is being established. The third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is when we begin to enter into some of the conflict and enter into some of the battle that's going to happen in prayer. Because what we're asking here is that God's will, our Father's will, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not the devil's will, not the world's will, but God's will and only God's will, which means that we need to ask God to help us know what his will is so that we can know how to pray, how to better pray. And so we ask God, what is your will? What are you doing here? What's happening right now? What can I get in on that you are doing here in this place right now? Your will be done, not my will, not the devil's will, not the world's will, but your will. So prayer is not getting God to do what we want, but getting us into what God is doing. And so we have to kind of pray against our own will a little bit. We have to wrestle with the thinking of, what I, is what I desire, uh, is it of God or is it of the devil? Is it of my flesh or is it of the world? And if you ask me, I think, our prayers in uh, contemporary culture and contemporary American culture miss this part. We don't ever really question what is God's will. We make assumptions about God's will. And so then we pray all sorts of things about our politics and our society and our churches without ever considering what God actually has said about this thing or what God has said about this situation or how God has acted in the past. And so this is part of the battle, asking for God's will and not my will, because sometimes those are not the same. In fact, many times those are not the same. As we enter into the fourth petition, this is the fifth part. Give us the bread we need for today, or give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for provision, that God would give us what we need, that God would give us what we need today. Not that he would make us make our storehouses big, not that he would make our bank accounts big, not that he would make our savings account big or our retirement big, that, but that God would give us exactly what we need today. Give us daily bread. Not enough bread to last me a lifetime, but just daily. That we rely on God day by day. 
Another important part of this prayer is that for someone to have daily bread, that means that there's a lot of things that have to happen. Someone has to make the bread. Someone has to uh, produce the flour. Somebody has to grow the wheat. And somebody has to transport the food from one place to another. When we are asking God for our daily bread, what we're asking him is to make our society strong and to make our community strong. And to make all those individuals who are all part of that process of getting us what we need today, making them effective and blessed in their craft. So give us today our daily bread. Give us the bread we need for today. It's all about asking God for daily provision and asking God to bless and protect those who are providing those services for us. This should be a regular part of your prayer. We enter into the fifth petition now. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This one's pretty straightforward, that we're asking God for the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of our sins. We ought to be uh, pretty much daily asking God to forgive us our sins, confessing our sins to God. We live in a state of forgiveness, and what is so great about God is that He uh, has not ordained us, He has not He's not made it so that we have to somehow like pay Him back for the bad things that we've done. If we go throughout our life and we sin and we fall short, which all of us do daily, as we continue to struggle and live in the tension of trying to figure out how to best live in this world and this time, uh, we, we tend to fall short of our own expectations, of the world's expectations, and certainly of God's expectations. So our world is a world that really doesn't offer a lot of forgiveness. There's not a lot of grace in our world, but there is a ton of grace with God, and he will always be open, for, open to us. And he will always be open to us and open to relationship with us. So we can know him, we can be loved by him, we can experience his goodness and richness, and we do not have to fear him. We live in a state of forgiveness. So we daily ask God to forgive us our sins. The sixth petition is, lead us not into the time of trial, or you probably have heard us, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. This petition Uh, The word temptation, we tend to think exclusively about sin. So when we pray this, we tend to think, Lord, help us not be tempted by sin. Uh, But that's not quite what the word temptation means in all of its fullness. That's that's how we use it today. Uh, But it's not how historically it has been used, and certainly not in the original language. Uh, That is not what that means. So what the word temptation here means, and what it has meant historically, is testing, a time of uh, testing or tension or a time of difficulty. And so what we're asking here is that God would save us from the danger and despair of doubt, of fear, and of questioning God's love and grace, which certainly those things will happen throughout our lives. Certainly we'll have moments of doubt. And to be completely honest, I don't think that that's always a bad thing to have questions and have doubts. But really what we're doing here, this time of testing, this time of trial, we're praying that we would not despair. We're praying that we would not despair or be in danger in our spiritual life. That we would question God, that we would seek God, that we would wrestle with God, that we would work through all of those hard things that every single one of us, all the tension that every single one of us has to face in our faith and in our life. But this helps us, this is a prayer that we would be free from despair, that we'd be free from hopelessness, that God would provide the people and the words for us to know that we can trust in him, even if we're doubting, we can continue to trust in him. 
So this is primarily protection from spiritual attacks and questioning God's love and grace. And finally, we come to the final petition, the seventh petition. Deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer of of protection from the devil. The devil uses all sorts of things to cause harm to humanity. He uses evil. He uses systems, and he perverts them for evil. He uses evil people to work in these systems and to exploit these systems and to exploit people, and especially exploit poor people. And this prayer of protection from the evil one is a prayer of protection from the poverty and shame, agonizing misery, and death that the devil enacts upon our world and enacts upon humanity through spiritual means, but also through systems and people and those kinds of things that cause us all sorts of harm, that cause all sorts of poverty, that cause all sorts of shame. And this prayer is specifically a prayer of protection from those things, from the poverty and shame and death and the agonizing misery of life. We ask God to protect us from these things and protect us from these people and these systems that the devil uses to cause all sorts of harm on our life. This is a prayer of protection. And so if the sixth petition, lead us not into the time of trial, is a prayer of spiritual protection, deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil is kind of a prayer of physical protection, I guess you could say, to protect us from the outside forces that cause all sorts of evil in our lives. So those are the eight parts of the Lord's Prayer. The introduction, the first, uh, which is our Father in heaven. The first petition, which is hallowed be your name. The second petition, which is your kingdom come. The third petition is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fourth petition, give us the bread we need for today. The fifth petition, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The sixth petition, lead us not into the time of trial And the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. These eight parts offer us the base for how we can pray. In our prayers, we can use these eight parts to structure. We can, you know, we can use these different parts to help guide and theme our prayers. So we know that if we pray through these eight parts and we use our own words and we kind of explore the Lord's Prayer that way, we know that we are praying the way that Jesus has asked us that we are praying to our Father who loves us and cares for us, and we're praying for protection, we're praying for holiness, we're praying for transformation, we're praying for the needs of us and our neighbors. And there's one final thing I wanted to mention here, is that you may have noticed that there is a part missing that we haven't talked about today. And that's, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is a a liturgical formula that is actually tradition and not originally in Jesus's teaching. Early on in the church, they began to use this almost like a doxology or a benediction at the end of the prayer to give glory to God and to kind of send off or end that prayer. So that last part, we still pray it today. We pray it in church and oftentimes we pray in our homes and we pray the Lord's Prayer. And it is a good thing to pray, even if it's not original in Scripture. It's a good thing to pray for us to uh, give God glory at the end of our prayers, Uh, but it is not normative. It's not uh, instructional the same way that the rest of the prayer is. So in church, we do pray with that ending there, and probably at home or as you've learned it, you've prayed with that ending there, because it's only been in the last few decades or so that we have discovered that the earliest manuscripts do not include that ending. 
that that ending was added three or four hundred years later after the time of Jesus and the apostles. So Jesus' original teaching did not include, for yours is the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, but it is good to use. It's a good historical traditional thing to use, even if it is not normative or instructional the same way that Jesus' prayer is. I hope that your prayer life is blessed through this teaching. I hope that your prayer life is blessed through the Lord's Prayer. Take some time to pray through those eight parts of the Lord's Prayer. Spend time in the Psalms, seeing how the psalmists write about these eight parts as well, and that we can see how Jesus used the Psalms to teach us, give us a concise teaching on prayer. God bless you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. 